We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, loved ones, what, what a testimony to the grace of God. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Here we are in the middle of our series called Jesus Over the Church, Living in Uncommon Community. Now, we need to be on the same page, church, of what exactly Jesus calls us to when he calls us to live in uncommon community. And you'll see a definition on the screen taken from what we see all throughout God's word. Uncommon community is God's people living out God's word together. Living out God's word together by God's spirit for God's glory. God's people living out God's word together by God's spirit for God's glory. Here's the truth we need to understand. As we look all around this room, we can see evidence to this. Hey, hey, want some great news? Here it is. The church is to be the picture of the community of heaven on earth. I'll say it again. The church, by God's design, is to be the picture of the community of heaven on earth. Hey, hey, you know what? What we are called to be a part of, this is a privilege. This is a privilege. And, and, and here, I love how one commentator put this. He said, it is grace. Nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. As I read this again, I want you to just look around this room. You guys online, I want you to look, you guys in the basement, I, want you, I just want you to look around the room, all of these beautiful people, and I'm gonna read this again while you're looking, ready? It is grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, and nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with our Christian brothers and sisters. What you just witnessed there, the exaltation of Christ, the cheering for his work, and love, that's grace. The fact we can come together and declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ through song and come under his word as we open it together in fellowship, it's grace. We don't deserve it. And we have seen throughout this series that if we are to live in uncommon community that Christ calls us to, we must live with an uncommon endurance, coming from an uncommon focus, leading to an uncommon humility. And that leads to today, all of these things lead today to an uncommon devotion. To an uncommon devotion to Jesus and to one another. And why is this night so important? Why is this text that we are about to unpack so important? Because you and I face a big problem every day. There's not one person in this building right now or watching online that does not face this problem and will not face it tomorrow and every moment of every day moving forward. There is a battle. There is a battle raging in our hearts every day. One which determines whether you as an individual 
and us as a church live faithfully in uncommon community that Christ calls us to. Here it is, ready? It is the battle for who or what will have your ultimate devotion. That's the greatest battle of the heart. Every day, every moment, who or what will ultimately have your greatest devotion? But the problem is, instead of living with the primary devotion to Jesus Christ, we often live with devotion to lesser things, don't we? Let's just be honest, loved ones. Hey, hey, this is church. We're gathered as the body of Christ. Let's just be honest. We often live with greater devotion to lesser things, right? You know it. I know it. We take on and live devoted to the attitudes, the values, and the priorities of the world. You heard it in testimony after testimony tonight. There it is. The battle for devotion. And instead of living devoted to the things that matter most to Jesus, the King, the Savior, Lord Almighty himself, and the things that he promises to bless and to empower and to display his glory to, we live devoted to the lesser things. And what's the result of this? You see the impact of this all over the place. Just take a look. Take a look on the news. Take a look around you. Even take a look across the church at large today. And here's the result of living devoted to those things. Instead of living faithfully as the uncommon community we're called to, increasingly, we increasingly represent the common community of the world around us. What do you mean? What do I mean by that? Here it is. Instead of living in unity, there's division. You see that in the world all over the place. Instead of living with grace and extending grace towards each other, there's hostility. Instead of living generously with one another, there's selfishness. Instead of living in humility, we live in pride, self-governance, self-reliance. Instead of living in united community, there's an individualism that we bring in that this world celebrates and we bring it into the church and we wonder why there's division. Instead of living with the joy, I just loved hearing those testimonies, didn't you? Like right now, just the unspeakable joy that comes in the life of Jesus, love through Jesus Christ. We live with grumbling and complaining because things aren't going our way. And ultimately, instead of living for God's glory, we live for ourselves and for the glory of man when we are devoted to the lesser things. Here's our big idea for our text today. Write this down. Get your pens ready. Here we go. You'll see it on the screen. Here it is. To live as an uncommon community in Jesus, we must live with an uncommon devotion to Jesus. To live as an uncommon community, the picture increasingly of heaven on earth, we must live with an uncommon devotion to Jesus. And here in this text, I just love this. I pray you're going to be so blessed tonight. We see one of the clearest and greatest pictures of what Jesus calls us to in the church in doing life together in uncommon community. Let's get our context. Here it is, 33 AD, first century, 33 AD. We're in Jerusalem. 
And the festival of Pentecost has just happened. And so there's thousands of Jewish people from all over the world that are gathered into Jerusalem. It's one of the three major festivals in Jerusalem. Still is today. And Jesus, let's get our time frame, 10 days earlier than this moment right here, Jesus has just ascended to heaven. Okay, so he died, he was resurrected for 40 days, he ministered to his disciples, and now he is ascended to heaven. And the Holy Spirit has just been given at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has just been poured out in Acts 2. And so the disciple, Peter, okay, he just gets up and he just preached the first, get this, the first sermon in the history of the church and through the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Talk about the power of God's word. The power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 from day one. Boom. Awesome. And now we see what happens next. So all these people get saved, and they're all part of the church. Praise the Lord. What now? Everyone say, what now? What now? What do we do now? Everybody's all saved. Can you imagine if you're the disciples, the leaders of the church? There's 12 of you. Like 3,000. And you're like, what do we do now? How does Jesus call his church to live? And so here we get a snapshot into the life of the early church. And if I could sum up the text, we see it gives the picture or the blueprint for the uncommon community that Jesus Christ calls his church to be. The priorities it must keep and the power Jesus will show through it for his glory when they are kept. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And let's read this together. Let's nice and loud. Let's, let's read this nice and loud together. Here we go. The fellowship of believers. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see so clearly right here from the first section of the text is this. The church that lives with an uncommon devotion to Jesus, ready, emphasizes his priorities. Emphasizes his priorities. And the question that's confronting us out of these first two verses is this. The church devoted to Jesus is devoted to his priorities. Hey, hey, question. Let's drill it home. Are you devoted to them? Is your life aligned with them? Let's just get real before the Lord. Is your life, is mine devoted to it? 
Verse 42, 43 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe of that. Awe, reverence came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See, after the Holy Spirit is poured out to the church, 3,000 are saved, baptized, and notice what they do. Notice their response right from the text. They devoted themselves to the priorities of Jesus for his church. Now, we hear that word a lot, you know, devotion, and it's been so compromised and watered down in our culture today. Let's get God's definition of what devotion truly is. Ready? You'll see it on the screen. That word devotion there in the original text means to attend to constantly. Constant attention to, the, to Christ and his priorities. Not distracted, not living unfocused. Constant attention. Staying fixed in direction. Moving towards them. Keeping them in front of themselves. And continuing to do something with intense effort. Not like, well, maybe when I get around to it, I'll follow Jesus, be devoted. No, an intense effort despite any difficulties. Wow. See right there? Right there from that text, you see the mark of the power of the Holy Spirit alive in a church. You see it right there. If someone asks you, hey, brothers and sisters, love you so much. If someone comes up to you and asks you, how do you know if the Spirit of God is moving in a church? How do, how do you know if the Holy Spirit is moving in a church? You see it right there. They are devoted to the things that Jesus is devoted to because they are devoted to him. And what's on his heart if I, could, if I could sum up verse 42 and 43, here's what this means for us today. These priorities that Jesus calls us to as the church are not optional. They're not optional priorities. It's not like, well, we think we got a better idea over here, Jesus, so we're just gonna kind of do it our way and expect you to bless it. Doesn't work like that. Everyone say, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Jesus calls us to be devoted to these priorities and they're not optional or negotiable if the church is to stay faithful to Jesus. It's not optional. And if I can say it this way, if you get these things right that we're about to see right here, it's really hard to get everything else wrong. If you get these things right, it's really hard to get all the other things wrong. See, when division happens in the church, why does it happen? Because devotion to one or more of these things is missing. He's made it so clear. Just look at the text. We're not making this up. Division happens in the church when one or more of these things is missing. Okay, so what are these four priorities? Get your pens ready. So clear. Ready, loved ones? Four priorities. The first one is this. Priorities of Jesus for the church. Number one, the word of God. The word of God. Just go back to the text. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? Well, recall, the apostles, they were the 12 disciples, and then the apostle Paul, they had been chosen by Jesus specifically, and they had all seen the resurrected Christ. They had all seen Christ resurrected. Now, the apostles had three roles in the early church. The first role was to receive write and teach God's word, as you see it right in the text. The second role the apostles had was to lay the foundation of the church, the blueprint for the church. And the third role, as you see in verse 43 right there, 
was to perform signs and wonders to authenticate or to confirm the message of the gospel as it was going forward. Because the church was just breaking in. Now, the role of the apostle, as we unpacked a few weeks ago, is not present in the church today. It's not present in the church today. Why? Because we have the full authority of the Bible to tell us how the church is to run. We do not need any longer a word of authority from man to tell how the church should function. Jesus has given under his authority the whole blueprint for it right here. And you see the teaching they're talking here, the apostles' teaching, was the teaching that Jesus, of Jesus that he gave to the church. It's the established doctrine of the church. It's the truth of God's word. It's the truth of the gospel. So if a preacher comes today or a teacher comes today with a new doctrine or teaching, hey, you've been around Hope Auto. If you've been around here for a long time, you're gonna know this expression. If it's new, it's not true and if it's true it's not new there's one authority one bible jesus christ one king one teaching the sound doctrine of the church if it's new it's not true You see this? We see this so clearly right here. You'll see it on the screen. The church devoted to Jesus is a church devoted to the word of God. This is why, hey, loved ones, love you so much. Hey, kids, kids, where are my kids? Yep, there's the eyes. Love you so much. Get this. This is why this pulpit stays right here. Because this church is devoted to the word of God. The authority of God through his word. Because Jesus says he blesses when there's the priority of it. See, this is first on the list of priorities. Why? God doesn't do random. Just look at creation. God doesn't do random. He puts the word of God first because all else of what we're about to unpack flows out of this being our authority. All of it. And so the spirit of God, how do you know the spirit of God's at work? Here it is. The Spirit of God will always lead people to humble themselves and submit to God's Word. The Spirit of God is not at work, maybe even right now where you're sitting, in the defensive posture. Well, who is that to tell me one authority and all that? That's not the Spirit of God at work. I'll tell you that right now. So clear. The Spirit of God will always lead people to humble themselves under the authority of God and submit to it. There's no defensiveness there. There's not apathy of, well, I know what God's word says, but maybe I'll just kind of get it. The Spirit of God's not pushing that agenda. Or when I maybe get to feel like, no, no, no. The Spirit of God, as we see right here, leads people to uphold the truth of God's word to proclaim the truth of God's word and to stand firm upon the truth of God's word. Sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, as Jesus taught it and gave it, is central, is central to the life of believers individually and the church community. Think about this. There's all these crazes out there with like, you know, eating healthy and things like that. Yeah, that's a good thing. Everyone say eating healthy is good. Eating healthy is a good thing, right, right? But here's the thing, the word of God must be the healthy diet of the church. 
The word of God has to be the healthy diet of the church if it is to stay faithful in this world. The word of God must inform all else. This is why when you come into this church, regardless of who's going to be preaching, you will go through it verse by verse, line by line. When we get into our small groups, love small, oh, love small groups. When we get into our small groups in the week, we open God's word and go through the text and apply it by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we get into our prayer nights, Bibles are open, scripture-fed, spirit-led prayer. The healthy diet of the church. This is why we are devoted to equip others to handle God's word faithfully. You heard another one of our elders, Kevin, tonight, opening God's word from the Great Commission, doing a great job there. He's been equipped in that to pray from it and to keep the gospel central in all things. All right, first thing is this. First priority of Jesus, the word of God. Here comes the outflow. Ready? Second thing we see right from the text. Go back to the text. The fellowship. The fellowship of God's people. Let's read again, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The fellowship. I love the word for fellowship there. Circle in your Bibles. It's so beautiful. The Greek word there is koinonia. Can you say that? You want to do some Greek? Ready? Koinonia. Koinonia, and it means this, sharing or partnership. It means intimacy. It means we are living as partners with Christ and with one another as his body, sharing life. See, the uncommon community is devoted to being together. Devoted to being together because it knows we share in the privilege of being part of Christ's body and are united in the spirit. The Spirit of God is at work in devotion to the fellowship because it makes the fellowship of the church, the gathering of the church, a priority. And here's, here's a big one for us that COVID has shown us. A koinonia community does not take gathering for granted. For those of you who've been in this church a while now, or at least over the last 20 months, hey, loved ones, did you miss meeting together? You missed the koinonia. I missed you so much. I missed hearing, where's those children back there? I missed hearing their precious voices and seeing their faces and the, and the singing of the saints and be able to come and celebrate what God's doing in your life. I missed that. I pray you did too. It makes the fellowship a priority and doesn't take it for granted. Like maybe I'll go to church next week unless I've got a hockey game. Maybe I'll go to church unless, you know, I got that party I could go to or maybe stay out really late Saturday. Maybe I'll get up. I don't know. The Holy Spirit is always moving us together, loved ones. The devotion to Jesus is a devotion to his church, his body. It doesn't make excuses for why it must be apart from it. And it does all it can to serve one another in it with each person using their gifts. Hey, hey, look around us. Look around us today at this precious moment. There's nothing like the church in the world. There's nothing else like the church. The beauty of the church, the faith of the church, the unity of the church. People gathered, even in this room right now, 
Hundreds of you gather from every tribe and tongue and nation watching online right now, tribe, tongues, nations, all gathering together, not in hostility and conflict, but in the beauty of seeing Jesus Christ exalted for his glory. Amen? There's nothing like the church in this world. There's nothing like the community of the church. And, and here's, here, here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. The closer you are to Jesus, this is why the word of God has to be first. The closer you are to Jesus, the closer you're going to be to the church. Why? Because the church is his body. You cannot say, I love Jesus, but I just don't love the church. That actually loved one, in love, I say this, it just doesn't make sense. The church is the body of Christ. The closer you are to Jesus, the closer you will be to his church. The more you love Jesus, the more you will love the church your brothers and sisters in Christ and want to be together. The closer you get with Jesus, the closer you're gonna to wanna to be together. And the less we're gonna make excuses to be apart. Loved ones, think about that truth. You can't separate the two. And this is why the enemy works so hard to isolate us, doesn't he? He works out, maybe even now. Hey, parents, maybe even now parents driving your kids to church tonight. Do you have any arguments? Do you have any spills? Do you have anything like this? Like, he makes it just so hard. It's so much work to bring all the kids. It's so much work to give. Yes, it might be, but it's worth it. The koinonia is waiting. The presence of God waiting to be poured out among his people. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. See, when you prioritize Jesus, you will prioritize his body. Third thing is this. First priority, we see the word of God. Second priority, we see the fellowship, God's people, the church. Here's the third priority. Go right back to the text. Verse 42, the remembrance of Jesus. Look at that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. What does that mean? In this context, it means having the Lord's Supper, communion. And, and in the early church, they did this as part of a larger fellowship meal. So they would take communion as they were having a meal together. And it's communion, the Lord's Supper, is one of two ordinances that we are called to uphold. What's the second ordinance? Baptism. That we are called to uphold and it is done to remember the person and work of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and our identity in the gospel. It's a tangible reminder. And, and here's the thing, remembrance of Jesus to keep him central in all things. Why are we commanded to do this? Why does this need to be a priority? Hey, if you're anything like me, do you ever leak? You ever forget who Jesus is and what he's done for you in the gospel? You ever need to preach the gospel to yourself again and again and again and remind yourself in those days of discouragement that you have a, a faithful Savior who has loved you and loves you unconditionally and has redeemed you and is sanctifying you and is with you and has given you and I 3,000 plus promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will provide for all of your needs. He will comfort us when we grieve. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Don't you agree? Because, man, that discouragement and weariness can take a toll. It's so easy to forget, especially when we feel weak, weary, and discouraged. Like, keeping Christ central. Was anyone else, maybe just me, okay? I'm kind of going out on a limb here, loved ones. Was anyone else really encouraged by those baptism testimonies? 
Do you know, you know what was common to all those? The gospel was central in every single one. The remembrance of Jesus. Look what he's done. And we get to stir one another up in the truth of God. Look what Jesus has done. Hey, someone here today, you need to remember Jesus with whatever you're facing. If you are saved in him and have repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior, you need to remember the Lord is at hand and he is with you and loves you and will care for you. And if you've never made that confession to follow him, you need to remember Jesus that he's waiting today for you to repent of your sin and confess him as Lord. And the Bible's so clear. It says today when you hear his voice, maybe you're sitting there right now and it's just like this. You've been running, you've been looking at different religions, you've been doing all this stuff and Jesus is sitting there on the throne today saying right here, right here, come to me. Do not harden your heart and today will be the day of your salvation. I love you. Fourth thing is this. First three priorities, the word of God, the fellowship of God's people. Here it is, the remembrance of Jesus. And here's, here's the fourth priority, prayer. Prayer, you see it right there. The breaking of bread and the prayers, individually and corporately. See, the faithful church is the praying church. I'll say it again. The faithful church is the praying church. Now, I want you to notice something. There, there's a difference, loved ones, between a prayer ministry and a prayer culture. There's a big difference. So you think, well, that's the prayer team. They're over there in the side or they're in the room in the basement and they're praying right now. There's a difference between the prayer ministry and the prayer culture. See, notice the church right here. It had a culture of prayer. Corporately, they came together to pray. Individually, in, over small things, over big things. Every time was the right time for prayer. You say, how do I know when to pray? Every time's the right time. Let's go ahead and say it. Every time's the right time. Every time's the right time. This is why scripture says pray without ceasing. Pray and don't stop. Why is this so important? Why? Well, we see it right here so clearly all throughout God's word as well. Our prayer is our declaration of dependence on the Lord. Prayer is our declaration of dependence on the Lord. So if prayer is our declaration of dependence and humility before him, what's prayerlessness? Here it is. It's the declaration of independence. It's the, I got this, God. I don't actually need you. I got this. You sure? You sure about that? And I can, I can fall victim to that all the time. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence. See, I want you to notice yourself. I want you to notice this. The early church had a vibrant, passionate, unceasing prayer life. Notice this. The early church, at this point, there were 12 disciples in a room. And now they've got 3,000 people added. But notice the early church, they had few resources. But what did they do? They accessed heavenly resources. The early church had very few resources. We got so much more than they had. But they accessed heavenly resources. Are we? Are we relying on our own? They accessed heavenly resources, and what did God do? God changed the world through them. God changed the world through them. 
See, the church is commanded to be a house of prayer. God says in Isaiah 56, 7, he says, my house shall be called a house of programs. No. My house shall be called a house of personalities. No. My house shall be called a social club. No. My house shall be called a house of? Enough said. You see it on the screen. The prayer life of the church is one of the greatest measures of the health of the church. We see it right there. The prayer life of the church, the prayer life of your family, the prayer life of your life is one of the greatest measures of the health of it. Hey, loved ones, I don't know if you've signed up yet. November 17th coming up is our next church-wide prayer night. We're going to gather with hundreds of believers from all over Canada right here from all over, BC and Ontario and Alberta and all over the place. We're Quebec, they're just, boom. We're gonna be here calling on the name of the Lord. Don't miss it. Lock it in, November 17th. Hope Ottawa, Hope Ottawa, even though this church, even though we have not arrived and we are not a perfect church and we do not claim to be, we have not arrived, but I was thinking about this, what we see here in the text and I'm so thankful to the Lord for his work in us and through us. I'm so thankful to see, even over this pandemic, when we haven't been able to meet in person for 19 months, to see your growing devotion that can only be contributed, attributed to the Holy Spirit, to the word of God at work, to see your growing devotion to the word. Bibles open in small groups. Bibles open in our prayers. Bibles open when we gather Bible's open in the teaching, humbling yourselves under the word, desiring to walk in obedience. Like, look at the, the baptisms here. Desiring to be hearers of the word, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. There's a growing devotion there. Here it is, the priority of the fellowship. Prioritizing, gathering together in services. And hey, I'm gonna say it again. Big shout out to our parents. I know it's a lot of work. We have four little boys as well. I know it's a, a lot of work but it's worth it. And God is changing lives of children in this church. I'm so blessed just in small groups this week hearing testimony after testimony of God's work in the children of this church. As his word is proclaimed, it is worth it. Loved ones, encouraging one another, just keeping it a priority, the serving together, giving of time, talents, and treasures in this church and in others, even now being able to help this church, Celebration Church, with a ministry opportunity we had this week to partner with them. And I was so blessed to see the remembrance of Christ increasingly in all things, the preaching of the gospel to each other, encouraging one another in the gospel, equipping in it, keeping it central, stirring one another up. And in prayer, the increasing dependence on the Lord is shown through frequency of prayer, fervency of prayer, and faith in prayer. And I was just, I was so blessed. I walked in. One of my favorite things to do is when I come in here on Saturday nights, I come in early for this reason. As I walk in, and I looked here tonight even, and there is the welcome ministry team huddled in prayer. Bible's open. So blessed. I walked in. A few walked in like last week or two weeks ago it was. Here's our setup team. You might think, oh, it's just set up. What's the deal with that? Oh, no. Not when God's glory is on the agenda. 
And here's the setup team huddled up here, Bibles open, praying. And then I go and I go into the back room where I put my stuff and, and I, the window's open. I didn't know the window was open. And I'm like, what is that noise? Who's talking out there? And, and there's another team out there that same night, Bibles open from Ephesians 2, praying God's word together. I just sat there. I was just in tears. Like, yes, Lord. This is God-given. This is spirit-driven. See, the church devoted to Jesus is devoted to his priorities. Are you devoted to them, loved one? Are your priorities aligned with his? Where do your priorities need to be realigned to Christ out of devotion to him above all? In the word? Your abiding time in fellowship, not forsaking the gathering of the saints, in remembering the gospel in that trial, in the temptation when you're discouraged, or the day-to-day, or in how about in prayer, realigning your priority of prayer and frequency of prayer, inviting God in, maybe coming to your first prayer night on November 17th, or praying with your spouse and your kids in your home. Where do you need to be realigned and say, Lord, help me, and he will. See, the church that lives with an uncommon devotion to Jesus emphasizes his priorities. And as a result, last point today, here we go, it experiences his power. Of course it does. The church that is devoted to Jesus emphasizes his priorities. And then here's the outflow of that. It experiences his power. The church devoted to Christ will experience his power. Question, loved ones, will you and I ask him for it? Will you and I ask him for it? Here in verses 44 to 47, we now see through the life of the early church the result of living with an uncommon devotion to Jesus. What's the result? They saw the power of Jesus, power of the Holy Spirit working in and through them. See, the spiritual unity the church had in Jesus now worked itself out into practical acts of love and care for one another that gave evidence that the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit was alive and at work in them. You say, okay, what are some of the evidences of the Spirit-filled church? We see four right here. Get your pens ready. Come on, I told you, we get those pens going. Here we go. Ready? We see the power of Jesus in four ways. Number one, uncommon generosity. Just go right back to the text. The uncommon generosity, verses 44 to 45. Let's read. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Awesome. Let's just get some clarity on what's not being said here. Okay? We don't want to misinterpret. This doesn't mean, what you just read, does not mean that all Christians were living together in some commune or compound. Okay? Kind of sealing themselves off from the rest of the world. No, we're called to be in the world, Jesus says, but not of the world. John 17, if you don't believe me. In the world, but not of the world. We're not called to live in some compound or commune where, where all of our resources get pooled into this one big thing, and then it's just distributed equally to everyone. That's, that's not what the Bible's promoting. I'm going to say that's not what it's saying. It's not what it's saying. Here's what it means, though. It means that giving was voluntary. They weren't commanded to give from any government entity. Giving was voluntary. Generosity was voluntary. And they held their possessions, right here, right here, hands up. They held their possessions lightly. Hands open, not clenched fists, like what's mine is mine. I'm hanging up. No, that's what happens. Gospel, open heart, open hand. 
open hearts, open hands. With our time, with our talents, and right here we see here with our treasures. They held possessions lightly and they shared with one another and were ready to share with others as needs arose in the church. It's not like someone's like, hey, I want a Corvette. Can my church hook me up? No, it's that just, we're not talking about that. We're talking about needs like food and clothing and help. It's radical generosity. See, here's the truth, loved ones. Hey, kids, eyes up here. I want you to, I want you to look up here. I got something really cool from God's word to tell you. Ready? Here it is. The church, Christians, should be the most generous people on earth. I'll say it again. Where's my kids? Kids, can we say this together? Ready? The church, go ahead, should be the most generous people on earth. Thanks, loved ones. I just love our kids. God bless you. Should be the most generous people on earth with our time, our talents, and our treasures. See, here, here's the thing. Because of all we've been given through Jesus, forgiveness, eternal life, the promises of God, the inheritance waiting in eternity with him. See, our level of generosity as believers is not based on what someone else has done for us. Well, you gave that to me, so another human's done for us. Well, you did this for me, so I'll do that for you. No. It's not based on what another human does for us. It's not based on what we think or not that person deserves. Our level of generosity is based on what Jesus has done for us. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. And what did he do? He gave us everything. He came and died and lived a perfect life. He rose again from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And now he offers the forgiveness of sin and eternal life for those who would repent and confess him as Lord and Savior. See, Jesus is the ultimate example of radical, sacrificial, and joyful giving, even to the point of death. And here's, the, here's something I was so convicted by in sermon prep this week. The greater understanding of his grace, the greater level of generosity you have. I'll say it again. The greater understanding of God's grace through Jesus Christ to your life, the greater level of generosity you have. Why, why? Because you have an increasing confidence that through Jesus Christ, God will take care of you. See, here's a really cool thing. You ever notice this? You cannot outgive God. You can't outgive Him. It's impossible. You cannot outgive God. And, and I was so um, struck with this this week. You'll see it from Dave, Pastor David Platt. You'll see it on the screen. He said this There is never going to be a day when you and I stand before God and He looks at you and says, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. Can we just leave that quote up there, please? Let's put it up again. I'm just going to let that hang there for a moment.
See, church, beloved, the world will not promote this, but it will notice this. It will notice this. And so what is your next step to living with uncommon generosity? Your time, your talents, your treasures. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you might, see, you might be there and it's like, oh, it's so hard. I just feel like I don't know if I can trust God. Here's, here's what I want to encourage you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But just say to him right now, Lord, I believe this is true, but help my unbelief. I'm so prone to wander. Help my unbelief. So uncommon radical generosity leads to this. Here it is, the power of Jesus. It leads to uncommon worship. Look at 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home. See, the early church, notice what they're doing. Here's the blueprint of the church. They were constantly worshiping and doing life together. And here in our text in 46, we see it happening in two ways that it must for us today too. Number one, corporate worship in the temple. They still went to the temple to worship. They're not giving sacrifices or anything like that. They're saved Christ's sacrifice once for all, but they're going to worship together. They're going to pray. They're going to witness. So we see the corporate responsibility, like what we're doing right now. But did you see the second one in the text? Did you see it? What else did they do? They worshiped where? And day by day, attending the temple, breaking bread in their homes. See, there were small groups. Small groups in homes, opening God's word, sharing meals together, giving to each other, praying for each other, regardless of differences in hobbies, in race, in ethnicities, and backgrounds. You could just sum it up this way. You notice this? If there was an opportunity to worship together, the church was there. If there was an opportunity to gather together in a small group, at a prayer night, corporately, when they gather any other time, fellowship time, the church was there. We're not missing it. You see, loved ones, the uncommon community is not once a week thing, but it's an everyday thing. An everyday thing where each person is so committed to the Christ-likeness, that means the growing into the image of Jesus of one another, that they take the initiative to gather. See, we can get this skewed, right? We think coming together in a small group or, or, or coming to church corporately, gathering as the church is all about us. Listen, it's not all about you. It's about everyone around you too. It's about everyone around you too. See, every time we stop or don't come meeting together, you forsake the opportunity to pour into someone the beautiful gospel that needs it. We're called to stir one another up. And God has called you and I to give it. And it's so easy to avoid this, this COVID culture, individualism. Look after yourself, you before God and others. Hey, hey, will you ask him for this? Say, Lord, this worship, this lifestyle of worship just not my priority right now. But you want it to be. Will you help me take my next step to not forsake it? Leads to this. Uncommon generosity. Uncommon worship. Oh, here's your beautiful one. Uncommon joy. 46 again. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food. Notice how they received it? With grumbling. Oh, no. Not in there. They received it with complaining because it wasn't the way they wanted it to be. Nope. 
They received it with cynicism. No, no. With glad and generous hearts praising God. Uncommon joy. The word glad there isn't just like, hey, yeah, great. No. The word glad there means exuberant joy and delight. We get together. We get to do life together with one another as they worship. There's no boredom. There's no grumbling. There's no competition to be like, well, hey, that person got to lead communion and I wanted that position. Hey, I wanted to serve in that way that he's getting to serve. No, 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 that she's doing. I wanted to do that. Nope, it's not there. There's an uncommon joy. That's what's common in the world. Compete, corporate ladder, get ahead, do whatever you want. Comparison trap, not in the church. Not in the church. There's a gladness when they see, wow, look at God's work in the life of my brother or sister. That's amazing. They see the grace of God and they are glad. They're not competing with each other for position. See, instead we see generous hearts filled with the spirit and power, joy of the Lord of being together and serving one another. And you know, one of my favorite parts, so I told you one of my favorites earlier, here's another one of my favorites. When I'm praying in the back room before coming out here, and I hear all of your voices, and the laughter, and the fellowship. There is joy in the house of the Lord, amen? There is joy in the house of the Lord. Uncommon joy that you will not find in your workplace, that you cannot find on your sports teams, that you cannot find in anything else or anywhere else except the beauty of the church. There's an uncommon, God-given, spirit-driven joy in the hearts of each believer. Praise the Lord. See, here, here's the thing. Will you ask the Lord for this uncommon joy in days and times like this? Will you ask him? See, this world should be asking. They should see the church and be asking, how can you live with such joy right now? with people who are so different from you in many ways. You know, when children are looked upon as a burden in society, God help us if the church looks upon children as a burden. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Whoever, whichever one of you said that, well said. Amen. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, Psalm 82 says he will declare his praise. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Come on. That's right. Amen. All right, here we go. Uncommon joy, uncommon generosity, uncommon worship, and lastly this, uncommon witness. See the overflow? Look at 47 right here as we close out. And having favor with all the people. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And what did the Lord do? As they devoted themselves to him, to one another. Oh, and the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those who were being saved. See the, the favor, having favor with the people? You know what the word favor means? Inclined to show kindness to you. People outside see the uncommon community of their church and they're like, what do I need to do to get close to that? There's not pointing fingers. There's not division. There's not racism. There's not segregation. There's not discrimination. What, is it there? what do I need to do to get close to that? Because everywhere I look out in this world, I see darkness. I see hostility. I see crisis after crisis. And yet I see unity. I see love, I see service, I see generosity. What do I need to do to get there? See, as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through the church, what do the unbelievers do? They notice the uncommon community. Love, unity, devotion, joy. 
And they wanted what they saw. Question. When the unbelieving world, if you're a follower of Christ in this room tonight, when the unbelieving world looks at your life, when the unbelieving world looks at this church, do they want what we have? Or is it, well, there's no difference here. Do they want what you have? Do they want what we have? Or are we just like the rest? See, the longing for eternity, when they saw the uncommon community empowered by the Spirit of God, the longing for eternity that is in every man, woman, and child ever created, their heart was stirred when they saw the community of heaven at work by the Spirit of God. And, and what's the result? Here it is. Just read the text, 47. They shared the gospel daily, not in some big evangelistic outreach, just going to the marketplace, going to the temple, going to their jobs. They just made evangelism a lifestyle. And what did God do? The Lord in his sovereignty. Notice it says the Lord, the sovereignty of God, because they can't, you and I can't save anybody. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Before we go to communion, I want to finish with this quote by one of my seminary profs. Dr. Albert Moeller, you'll see it on the screen. He said this, he said this, our greatest task, Hope Ottawa, hear this, hear this today. Hey, children, children in this room right now, look at the screen. Yep, yep. Oh, I love seeing those heads. Yes. Praise the Lord. Look at that screen. Our greatest task is not to make Christianity credible, but to show that the gospel of Jesus is beautiful. Our greatest task is not to make Christianity credible, trying trying to change people's viewpoints on it. That's not our task. We can't change a mind. We can't change a heart. We can't change a life. But our greatest task is to show the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. Because when they see his body, they should see the beauty of him. Our neighbors our classmates, our co-workers, our children, our families. This is why John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And why he said in John 17, 20 to 21, Father, please make them one, unify them so that the world may believe. They would see the unity and believe that you have sent me. See, church, these are the marks of the of the church that lives with the uncommon devotion to Jesus, emphasizing his priorities and experiencing his power. And we can't do this on our own. Will you ask him for this? And just repent of where you're trying to live on your own strength this way? It won't happen. You have a savior that loves you and he's like, come and taste and see. Come and taste and see. Will you repent? See, and it's only fitting to respond to this message right here by coming together, united in Jesus, to break bread. We see it right from the text. We're going to break bread together at the Lord's table and remember the beautiful gospel and the love which Christ loves us with and that makes this uncommon community possible. This is called communion. And it's a time to remember Christ's death and how 
He made that sacrifice on the cross over 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty for our sin, the penalty which you and I deserve, which is separation from God for eternity in hell. That's where our sin takes us. And he died and suffered so that we may receive the forgiveness of sin if we call on him and walk in freedom and new life in him. And there's two elements we are called to remember him by. Number one, is the bread. And I would suggest, hey, loved ones, I don't want to distract you from this moment. This is a sacred moment right here. But uh, just start opening this because it can be a little bit tricky. There's two. There's two. One on the top for the bread and one on the bottom for the juice. The two elements that we represent him with, the, the, the bread that represents his body that was broken for us. This isn't the actual body of Christ. It's a symbol. And then the juice, which is the blood that was shed to cover every sin. That's the symbolism of it. And so, but here's the thing we need to understand. As we come to the Lord's table right now, this is a sacred moment, and we are called and commanded not to come flippantly, but reverently. Reverently. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 28 to 29 says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. What does it mean to examine ourselves? Well, in these next few moments, you'll see a worship song on the screen as as a time for reflection and remembrance. In these next few moments, as we open our elements, hey, let's be still. You heard Curtis say it in his testimony, let's be still. Be still and know that he is God and be discerning before the Lord, asking him to examine our hearts for unconfessed sin not coming to the table flippantly, saying, as David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart, and test my anxious thoughts, and see where the offensive ways are in me, and lead me in the path everlasting. Let's use that. And just, where am I not living with that uncommon joy? What's hindering that? The generosity, the gathering together. Where are my priorities not yours? And I'm devoted to lesser things of this world. Lord, I repent of what? And there is forgiveness and comfort on the other side of repentance, never condemnation. So let's take these next few minutes to examine as this song plays over us.